Hi everyone, this is Open Source Futures and I'm Eddie Chu, where I discuss current news through the lens of long-term trends and futures thinking. Just a note here on timing, I am juggling work and this hobby, so bear with me when there are delays. I know it's been more than a week since the last episode I dropped into your podcast, but just bear with me. Thanks so much. So this is the third episode and I've covered things like the Singapore budget and the decarbonization stuff. And I've also been talking about this thing called futures thinking, which I say I will cover. And finally, I will finally cover what futures thinking is. So I will talk about futures thinking, um, what is it and how it looks like. Okay, so first of all, the name. You might see it as something else. You might see it as futurist, you might see it as strategist, scenario planner, or you might also just hear about strategic foresight. All these are things that you might hear when people talk about the futures and uh, who they claim to be. So, personally speaking, I find futurist is a bit too broad and it has a technology bent to it. It's also associated a lot with science fiction, which is one kind of futures. I'm not fussy about terms, but I think futures thinking is still the best and broad one because it conveys the subject. Futures with an S because of many possible futures. The future is open, we don't know what's going to happen in it, and there are lots of things that could happen. And then there's also the second word, the word thinking, because it is a process, it is a practice, it's something you do. Anyone can do futures thinking. If you have thought about your own possible futures, you've done futures thinking in a small way. But here in futures thinking, we call it a practice because uh, it can be done in a systematic way. Okay, so what's this systematic way? We look at it through trends, trends and assumptions. So trends, what's happening today and how it came to be and how could it change? And then assumptions, what's the thinking behind how we think and how that could change? So as someone who does futures thinking, we entertain possibilities. And we hope that that can be a motivation for action to prepare and to shape. So futures thinking is not about predictions. It is not about predictions. It is not about getting a prediction and a forecast and getting it right. No, it's about learning how today came to be and how things could change. Because we realize that a lot of things have changed. A lot of the ways we think about the news, the world, uh, the various technological things that have happened, a lot of those have changed. And you can find a whole range of things about what bright minds have thought about and have thought very wrongly about. So just as a bit of a historical introduction, the whole thing about futures thinking started from the Cold War, where military strategists were thinking about how different situations could come about and what could happen after a nuclear war. Then I think some of these folks went over to the Shell or somehow Shell company adopted it, thinking about how the world might change. So for instance, how oil from the old Soviet Union could somehow enter the world market, or what could happen you know, if, uh, the, if Arab states and OPEC used oil as a political weapon. So I guess people have used this technique and find that it can be useful for other stuff. So among the more prominent examples that people like to talk about might be how some of these futures facilitators went over to South Africa while they were transitioning from apartheid to majority rule. So apparently, 
this guy called Adam Kahane or Kahan K-A-H-A-N-E he went to South Africa and he used a scenario planning process and helped bring about a peaceful transition uh, from white minority rule to uh, the ANC or Nelson Mandela as you might know. The United States intelligence community also uses uh, futures thinking in the form of a scenario process so I know it as something called the global trends product. It was something that was released quite regularly as in once every four years to give people a sense uh, and to give the incoming administration, the US president and, and his team, he, his or her team, and a sense of what the world could look like four years or 20 years later. Uh, there wasn't one for the recent Biden one, but maybe there'll be one after, uh, there'll be one quite soon, I'm not sure. Um, but these are the a few big places that use that, and I know that the Singapore government uses that as well. So it's useful for really big uncertainties that you know about, that you can, uh, that you read about, and these scenarios are different from. Uh, I know another situation where scenarios are used. They are used in talking about emergency situations. So you can. And I know that the word scenario is also used in that process where you think about the various emergencies that could happen and what you need to plan in terms of business continuity. Uh, but here we are talking about a distinct sort of futures where they are about plausible futures or futures that could happen. And these are things that usually challenge the, uh, our, the sense of what we think could happen or what we think is intuitive. But the, the thing about the, the futures that we use today that I'm thinking about um, the scenario that you might hear it as scenario planning, these things, they kind of challenge, they try to challenge what seems to be common sense today or what is our perceived wisdom today. But it still had to feel real. And that I think is a challenge because it is easy to dismiss futures that, that you are not familiar with and say that that's just science fiction. Um, that's why a lot of the futures work you see today, they are usually uh, talking about something within a 30-year time frame to avoid that kind of dismissal. Um, but it's also not too far away that it becomes science fiction. Okay, so to give you an example of what uh, scenario planning could look like and what futures thinking look like, and this is just one small version of it, let's talk through an actual scenario planning process and what, and what that might involve. So try to imagine you're kind of a middle manager in a big multinational corporation with operations around the world. The boss asks you to come up with a plan for the company. So how might you start? Well, the first thing to ask would be what, whether the person has a topic in mind, what's the time horizon, and what's the budget. So hopefully it's also uh, at least five years out or more, and you have enough budget to cover uh, the stuff that you want to cover. So you also want to put together a team that has various perspectives and experiences because cognitive diversity matters. You need to have people thinking differently, but not so different uh, that you don't have a team, right? So you need to find some way to gel people together. And I hope you have a budget so you can have the chance to talk to experts in different areas. So you need to hear established voices, um, but also you should try to hear emerging voices, new voices in the area that's coming up. And you might also need to cover fringe voices. So voices that are 
cover a different, totally different perspective, but you need to hear about. So after collecting all your facts and information, after you talk to the expert and hear their perspectives, then that's when you need to start organizing things. Um, in futures thinking, we usually cover uh, five areas as a start, and they are broadly uh, labeled as social, the technology or te uh, the technological developments. You cover economic stuff, and you cover environment and political stuff. So depending on what you are looking at, you may have to look at both, for example, domestic politics of the country you are looking at, or you also want to cover geopolitics as well. So these are the five big buckets, um, but you can also add in your own things. So for instance, if you're in the military, you will have probably want to have a separate thing on military. Or if you're looking at philosophical things, you might have to include ethics. Uh, or if you find that the policy condition of a country uh, is important, you might have to look at regulatory stuff as well. Okay, so you have a bunch of things that you have already looked at. You have all your facts, you have your trends, you have established some very interesting questions. And so you, you, you need to narrow them uh, subsequently. You need to think about what might be consequential ones, and you might need to think about uncertain ones. So consequential in the sense of how big that impact might be, so you can give intuitive assessment or qualitative assessments of those. And you also need to think about how uncertain they might be. So uncertain could be a sense of how could things change and how could they change quickly. So things like politics can change relatively quickly, public mood shifts, um, but then there are other stuff that changes, that changes less quickly. Um, so, for instance, we could look at technology, right? So, if we're, say, looking at um, digital technologies or computing technologies, they are quite important. They affect many areas of our lives. And I feel that there is a kind of, um, there is a kind of strong trajectory to it, as in it will definitely be moving, but the implications of how they move uh, although it seems a bit uncertain, but you can roughly tell where it could go. So for instance, things like, oh, you know, TSMC, the Taiwanese chip company, they say they can reduce the size of their computing nodes and stuff like that. So you could say that things are going on quite a, a particular trajectory that you can tell. Um, I think also over time, based on the experiences that I've been having, I feel that... I'm beginning to be less surprised about breakthroughs that are happening. So I remember feeling quite excited in 2016 when DeepMind beat uh, Lee Sedol in Go. But then after that, there were all the other things about how DeepMind and OpenAI's algorithms were beating uh, WoW, WoW players or Dota players or StarCraft players. I don't exactly remember the games. Um, so I felt... Uh, when, when those breakthroughs happened, I thought, yeah, uh, it was kind of expected. Um, also, with the, trickle, with the trickling of news about quantum computers, I'm also beginning to think about a world where quantum computers might become more popular and more widely available, because I see that there are multiple companies with multiple approaches. So I wouldn't be surprised if, say, 20 years' time, or sorry, even 5 years' time, 
that there will be widespread corporate access to quantum computers. So uh, I would feel that that will be in the realm of big impact and uh, low uncertainty. So this might be surprising to you, uh, but I've just been looking at some news about quantum computers and it feels to have a sense of solidity, solidity to me. So on the other hand, um, political shifts or regulatory shifts can be quite uncertain. So for example, I'm still trying to think about what the Chinese Communist Party wants to do. So for, in for instance, I thought at one point they wanted to encourage their uh, big tech companies, so they have Tencent, Alibaba's, and Baidu's. I thought they wanted to grow as big as they can so that they can dominate global standards in AI and lead the world. But then um, Jack Ma got some, uh, what would you call that, uh, attacked by the Chinese Communist government, uh, Chinese Communist Party. Um, you might have heard that the IPO for ENTS got cancelled and now there's I think similar things happening to Tencent I mean not that the not that the founder was jailed or something but it's just um, there's kind of a, a kind of forced regulation on Tencent to focus on particular businesses so I'm not so I understand that, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party wants like definite control over their society, but how they go about it and the way they have, uh, the way they are working through it seems a bit unpredictable to me. And so that's, that's a further sign, I think, of me, for me, for uh, be prepared for very uncertain things to come from the Chinese Communist Party. So that's how I'm thinking about that. Um, when it comes to the US government, uh, I think similarly, uh, it's very hard to tell whether there will be such a thing as stable governance coming from the US. You get, every year you get, you know, a huge stretch of uncertainty. You don't know who's going to become president and how the political parties will interact. And then you get a heightened sense of uncertainty. So with the, with the Trump administration of the past four years, there's been a lot of uncertainty about how he could go about uh, governing. And then with Biden, you might have more predictability. But who knows, right? After Biden or even after the midterm elections, you know, how the US governance system works. Uh, so that is uh, a different level of uncertainty for me. And then not just domestic politics, but also geopolitically. So uh, how will US and China continue to interact with each other? I think there there is some level of predictability but also sufficient uncertainty to uh, to kind of figure your way out. So I don't know, things feel very unpredictable for me. So, um, but that's my own sense. You might have your own view, definitely. Um, but that's just what I, how I'm thinking through it. So for me, the question would be for US and China, how, how would they work together, on which issues would they work together, and on which areas would they very fiercely compete with each other. So for example, the, another thing I am thinking that's high uncertainty about, it would be the approach to global governance on climate and carbon. So I find that there is huge amounts of uncertainty, although a lot of countries have said that they want to go net zero, but in terms of their financial investments and how they are 
uh, going the society towards the transition, I think there is still some way to go. So what are countries going to do exactly about? Um, the other thing is, uh, but there are things that we know more about that are more stable. So something like global demographics, we know that we know the rough shape of how things would go. So something like the world's population will probably hit a peak of about 10 billion people and go down from there. But within that, there will be huge variations. So for something like um, India will become the world's most uh, populous country sometime in the 2050s. Um, the whole continent of Africa might have 2 billion people, but that means that the rest of the world will see their populations decline. So I think um, that's, demographics is something that's quite set, but of course the implications of that, what it means for immigration, global population balances, uh, all that is highly uncertain, but at least we know what the numbers for global population might look like. Okay, so... Assuming, you know, back to your back to your fictional scenario planning exercise. So you've now come up with two trends that are highly impactful and highly uncertain. So you could just do what is known now as the shell method where you where you put a two by two axis, uh, one for each of the trends that you have picked up, and then you write stories based on the uncertainties and the certainties that you have picked up along the way. Um, hopefully, your scenario study will have been something like 20 years, uh, over a 20-year time horizon, and there might be some interesting things you can say about that. And then, uh, you'll talk to you about how your company might respond to each of these trends, and you're beginning to talk about resource allocation and longer-term strategy. So, for instance, uh, how long would you do business in China, you know, before you get more... Uh, exciting markets to come in other parts of the world. Uh, what does it mean for your company to be more global and aware in which places do you have to start putting in offices or presence, for instance? And then you walk through each of these scenarios for your company. So in a 2x2 two two matrix, it means that there are four scenarios. Uh, so it's more enough to, to manage, to wrap your head around but it's not so much that your head explodes, right? So that's basically the point of why there are usually four or five scenarios, or even three. So, yeah, that's really it. So we begin to talk about strategy, talk about finance, talk about resource allocation, talk about positioning, uh, in which markets and how. So uh, then you get down to strategy, and then, then of course you get down to implementation subsequently. So as you can see, that's not... It's not a rocket science thing, but it is a lot of engagement, a lot of facilitation, a lot of emotional intelligence. Because you're getting people into a room and you're talking through all of these things, you're trying to build a common understanding of what the trends are and what the scenarios might be. And you are using small group sessions to kind of ease everyone into the future, into possible futures, especially when those futures might be very different from the one that you that your company might be used to. So this is really just it. Uh, just talk through the scenario planning process where you kind of uh, think about a question, look at the trends, 
uh, look at the uncertainties and try to collapse their findings into four scenarios and walk through your company across uh, possible responses in, your, in each of these four worlds. So, yeah, that's it. There's not... I guess the magic is in the people that you will be working with, how you will get them together with different perspectives, hear about different possible futures, and getting people aligned together towards the common set of strategies. So um, that's really it. So there's, like I said, no magic behind the process. And um, if you look at the other stuff that I'm doing, so over at my Instagram at uh, Joel Firenze, so that's J-O-E-L-F-I-R-E-N-Z-E, you'll probably find uh, 60 over scenarios on various different things, um, some funny things, but some serious things as well. So you'll get a sense of how widely a range you can apply scenarios to, so it's not just very big, sexy things like geopolitics, but also things like how culture might evolve, how uh, social trends might evolve, how very intimate things might, might evolve. So, yeah. Alright, that's it. So if you really enjoyed this, you can contribute to the Patreon at patreon.com slash opensourcefutures. That's one word, opensourcefutures. Or... You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash opsourcefutures. That's opsourcefutures, one word. Alright, see you next time. Bye.